Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. You can learn more about our live stream church services, the Walk in Truth podcast, how to donate, and how to find us on social media when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part three and the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17, called Set Apart to Reveal His Son. Now, let's, let's move back to Acts, and I'm going to show you a few highlights of how Saul, who became Paul, ravaged the church. Just a few highlights, but I think they're worth looking at. Acts 8. Look at verse 1. Saul, remember every time we see Saul, we're talking about the man who would become Paul. That was his previous name. Saul, Acts 8.1, was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. On that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is Acts 8.2. Some devout men buried Stephen made loud lamentation over him. Look at the pain that Saul caused. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Acts 9, look at verse 1. Acts 9, 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest He asked for letters from him to the synagogues. We just read that, but look at how he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. How do you think people talked about this man in church prayer meetings, in in plans, we're gonna go and evangelize this area, but watch out for this guy named Saul, man. He has no mercy. He's trying to destroy the church all the way to Acts 22. Paul ends up in Jerusalem later in the book of Acts. He's uh, beaten. Um, They're trying to kill him. And he gets rescued by the Roman guards that see the disturbance, Acts 22. And he, he wants to preach to them because he has compassion for them. And he says, Acts 22, verse 3, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. Now he's become a Christian, and I persecuted this way to death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem and prisoners to be punished. And finally, if you flip over to Acts 26, Paul is before King Agrippa. And Jesus said that Paul would be his chosen instrument. He would bear this gospel before Gentiles and kings. And we see Paul sharing his testimony as he did in Acts 22 before the king, the great King Agrippa. And he said these words. This is Acts 26, 9. So then I thought myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, This is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, Acts 26.10, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. Maybe something like this. You renounce that Jesus now, that he's not the Messiah. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. We get a little bit more detail about what happened now. For this purpose, I've appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you or what I'll show you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power or the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Back to Galatians chapter one. There's a place for you and I to share our personal testimony to share our story, even if your story is not some, you know, radical, I went from this terrible lifestyle to becoming a Christian, there's a place to share your story, a place to talk about how God's power and love have changed you. Can I ask you, when's the last time you shared your story? When's the last time you told somebody about how Jesus saved you? You see, we've been called to reveal God's son in our lives. You can imagine how much Paul perplexes the skeptics. Why would God, why would this man be involved in the gospel? This is a, from my notes. Why would this man, the hater and persecutor of the Christian faith and church become a main spokesman for its message? Imagine someone saying, psst, psst, Paul, come over here. Boy, have I got a great deal for you. You're going to quit your job as an exalted Pharisee, likely a member of the Sanhedrin, on the fast track to the high chair, to become a Christian. You're going to be hated and hounded by many of your own people. You'll endure arduous travel and sickness. Uh, Paul may have been divorced by his wife as a result of becoming a Christian. We don't know for sure. You'll know deep depths of spiritual warfare, division in the church, false teachers. The burden for the churches will be constantly on your back. Those who fall into sin, false teaching, you'll be stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, and finally beheaded. Okay, where do I sign? <laughs> Sounds terrific. That's why Paul drives skeptics cuckoo, because they don't know what to make of this. How could this man be the man? If someone was going to cook up a story and the gospel was man-made, why would this man die why would he leave a cushy 
uh, job as a Pharisee, which he had reached the heights of religious power and respect. Why would he do it? This shows you the integrity of the eyewitnesses of the early Christian faith, that they were not what you would expect. They were not some band uh, doing a powwow in Jerusalem coming up with all this stuff. No, no, no. They were all stories of a radical call and the grace of God and the unexpected vessels. That's why you and I are here. You see, the man who violently and intensely wanted to destroy the church now became its chief spokesman. Why did Paul want to destroy the church? Well, because he thought it was a threat to everything he believed in. He thought maybe he could compare himself to Elijah in the Old Testament who destroyed the prophets of Baal. Maybe that's how he justified it in his mind. I'm right to do this because it's a threat. And maybe he thought, well, people's souls are at stake. And there are misguided people in our world and sometimes they have zeal for the wrong things because this, they're convinced that the gospel's a threat and then all of a sudden the scales fall from their eyes. Amen? That's why we need to pray for people because God delights in using unexpected people. He says, Galatians 1.14, we're winding down. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. You could say Paul was at the top of his class being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions, not just for the Bible, but all the rabbinic uh, writings, all the, the extra biblical writings. Paul even was trained under Gamaliel, Acts 22, 3, and even defied Gamaliel's counsel regarding the church. Gamaliel said, if this is from God, you're not going to stop it. So just leave these men alone. And Paul even defied his own teacher's advice. I don't care what you say, Gamaliel. You were my teacher, but now I'm going to destroy that church. Even Gamaliel, what are we going to do with this guy? Right? Young and zealous. No, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to destroy this movement. This threatened everything. It threatened Saul's way of life. He was advancing. He was moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> Some of you will know where that's from. Now, I want to show you one more. It's in 1 Timothy 1, to your right. I know we're all over the Bible, but we got to do some cross-referencing to just put the pieces together. 1 Timothy, and if you don't want to turn there, just listen to it. This is so beautiful. This is Paul writing one of his pastoral letters to Timothy, and he, he says this. Another place where he shares his testimony, he says, 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though, 1 Timothy 1.13, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement. It deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. And yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me as the foremost or chief of sinners, Jesus Christ 
might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Even though 1 Timothy 1.13, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement. It deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. And yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me as the foremost or chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. When you read back to Galatians 1, and we'll finish it, some of the accounts of Paul and how patient he is with his brethren even after he gets beat up and left for dead, why does he go back and preach to them? Why does he have so much compassion? Because he knows that he used to be just like them. Application point. When you have a friend who's fighting you, and they seem to have a deflector shield around them every time you bring up God or the gospel, never forget where God saved you from. Never forget how ignorant you were to the truth of the Bible and to the ways of Christ because sometimes we get on in our years as a Christian and we start looking at people and why they can't figure this out. I mean, I don't even know. And then uh, rewind the tape a little bit. Where'd you get saved from? How ignorant were you? You you just didn't know. There were so many things I didn't know. Each time I heard the Bible taught, it was like, wow, whoa, oops, <laughs> wow, whoa, oops, I'm not doing that right, oops, I messed that one up, oops, <laughs> can I get a ouch? I hear about amens in church, but I was doing a lot of ouching, man. I'm like, that preacher's got a copy of my diary. John Newton was the 18th century pastor, author of the timeless hymn, Amazing grace. His lyrics seem to tell each of our stories better than we ourselves could. Before John Newton was the great Christian hymn writer, he was a rascal, a slave trader, a rebel. Yet the mercy of God intervened in his life. The Lord Jesus Christ interposed his grace. In a letter to a friend, Newton described his own conversion in ways reminiscent of the Apostle Paul. 
He said, I, though long a ringleader in blasphemy and wickedness, was spared. And though banished into the wilds of Africa where I was the sport, yea, the pity of slaves, I was by a series of providences little less than miraculously recovered from the house of bondage and at length to preach the faith I had long labored to destroy. Shortly before death, John Newton composed his own epitaph. It reads like something the Apostle Paul might have written. He wanted it inscribed on plain marble with no other monument or inscription. This is a grave marker. Lest anything distract from the grace of God. And he, re he wrote the following to be on the grave marker. Quote, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to, the, to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. These are the things that God does. You see, Galatians 1.15 says, when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, we hear of Jeremiah's call in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. You could also look at Isaiah 49.1 that most believe applies to the Messiah. Listen to me, pay attention, Isaiah 49.1, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. Before I was born, the Lord called me, NIV. Do I understand how that all works? No, I do not. But I think a lot of you have a sense as you study the Bible that this call on your life came long before you realized it. You see, God had a plan. He had good works prepared beforehand. And your job is to, Ephesians 2.10, walk in them. God has a great plan. He wants you to yield to the plan. His plan for Paul and for the church, each Christian, was to reveal his son, Jesus, in me. I want people to see Christ in me, the hope of glory, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Get God's sense of humor. The Gentiles were people Paul hated. He thought that they were created only to fuel the fires of hell. He was a Jewish religious Pharisee who wouldn't even give a, a thought about Gentiles. And now he becomes the chief spokesman to the Gentiles. You know, God's going to do a work in your heart as you yield to him. You'll start loving people you couldn't even imagine you'd love. You'll have compassion for them. You'll want them to hear the gospel and to know him. It's a life-changing work that the Lord does. See, God calls and equips. He changes our hearts. So Paul says, he wants to reveal his son in me. And I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me just to make sure they know the divine origin of the gospel. I went away to Arabia, returned once more to Damascus. We'll, we'll talk more about that as we move forward. I want to end with a story and uh, this story, just let me just read it to you. It says, I'd always been an agnostic and den denied Christianity. Robert C. Ingersoll, a famous agnostic, was one of the most intimate friends, one of my most intimate friends. He once suggested, see here, Wallace, you're a learned man and a thinker. This story is about Lou Wallace, governor of New Mexico. 
Why don't you gather material and write a book to prove the falsity concerning Jesus Christ that no man such as him ever lived, much less was the author of the teachings found in the New Testament? Such a book would make you famous. It would be called a masterpiece, a way of putting an end to the foolishness about this so-called Christ. The thought made a deep impression on me, says Wallace. We discussed the possibility of such a book I went to Indianapolis, my home, told my wife what I intended. She was a member of the Methodist Church and naturally did not like my plan. But I decided to do it, and I began to collect material in libraries here and in the old world, and I gathered everything that period, of that period in which Jesus Christ, according to legend, should have lived. Several years were spent in this work. I'd written nearly four chapters and it became clear to me that Jesus Christ was just as real a personality as Socrates, Plato, or Caesar. The conviction became a certainty. I knew that Jesus Christ had lived because of the facts connected with the period in which he lived. I was in an uncomfortable position. I'd begun to write a book to prove that Jesus Christ had never lived on earth. Now I was face to face with the fact that he was just as a historical personage as Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, Virgil, Dante, and a host of other men who had lived in olden days. I asked myself candidly, if he was a real person and there was no doubt, was he not also the son of God and the savior of the world? Gradually the consciousness grew that since Jesus Christ was a real person, he probably was the one he claimed to be. I fell on my knees to pray for the first time in my life. I asked God to reveal himself to me, forgive my sins, and help me become a follower of Christ. Towards morning, the light broke into my soul. I went into my bedroom, woke my wife, and told her that I'd received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Oh, Lou, she said, I've prayed for this ever since you told me of your purpose to write that book, that you would find him while you wrote it. And indeed, he did. Lou Wallace did write a famous book. It was a masterpiece and the crowning glory of his life's work. He changed the book he was originally writing and used all his research to write another book. Now, every time I watch, watch the epic film made from that book and see Charlton Heston racing those four magnificent white horses in that amazing chariot race, I wonder how many have seen Ben-Hur. With its moving references to Jesus, and know it was written by a man who wanted to disprove that Jesus ever existed and instead became convinced that he was the greatest man who ever lived. Father, thank you for your life-changing power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for how you save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Thank you that you reached into my own darkness, my own sin, and you rescued me. You showed me the love that you had for me and for your people from really before time began. I don't understand all of it, Lord. But I know this. You are faithful to save sinners, to change hearts, and to use unexpected people. And I pray that that reality would be an encouragement to those who are listening to my voice right now who may think, oh, the Lord could never use somebody like me. He could never save somebody like me. He could never use me to share his gospel with others. Oh, he can. And he does, and he will. 
maybe in these few moments as the word of God has gone forth, you could just do some business with the Lord. And maybe for you, it's to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe for you, it's to say, Lord, I'm going to yield my life to your plan to use me in my gifts and my calling. Maybe for you, it's just a realization of how deeply you are loved and how his grace is so incredible. Father, would you do your work in the hearts of your people as they meditate on your word, look to you. I pray that you'd be saving the lost, equipping the saved, and encouraging uh, each one to be an ambassador of your hope. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Set Apart to Reveal His Son, part three on Walk in Truth. And that was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Galatians 1, 11 through 17. And as always, you can watch the video of this message on walkintruth.com. Hey, are you on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? We know you are. And it's not because we're stalking you, but we just want to be your friend. So could you give us a friend or a like or a follow and maybe tell us where you're listening from? We'd love to hear from you here at the show. So go ahead and do a search for Walk in Truth Show on any of the social media platforms and let's connect. And one more thing before we wrap up today, Walk in Truth is a listener supported program. Your $5 donation is really appreciated. So please give if you can at walkintruth.com and click donate. That's walkintruth.com, click donate. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Galatians chapter 1, 18 through 2:10 called Getting Acquainted with Grace. Hey, that sounds good to me. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.